Shed, and my co-presenter Clive Walpole is beaming live from his circuit suite across town. Uh, hi Peter from my uh, secret synth bunker. And tonight we have a special guest, the award-winning composer, producer, one half of Goldfrat, uh, one ninth attempt of Will Gregory's Move Ensemble. Welcome Will Gregory. Hi. Hi Will. Hi, hi. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Yeah, surviving... Thanks for joining us. Yes, you're very welcome. You began as a saxophonist, so how did you first get into electronic music and synths? I mean, I've played keyboards, um, studied piano as well. There was a, a very brief period when my piano teacher thought I might become a pianist, but, you know, I think we soon put her right about that. But um, I do have some vestiges of keyboardness around so I've always been interested you know and in bands I tended to play saxophone and keyboards uh, just because you know it was uh, save money and um, <laughs> my friend Adrian Utley who we, we were sort of partners in crime for uh, some of our younger days and he phoned me up once and he says look Will I've got these two MS20s I'm going to have one of them but I think you should have the other oh and, uh, so really he's, yeah he started it um, and that was it the rest is yeah <laughs> <laughs> So we've got a selection of music you've chosen that's inspired and influenced you, starting with John Barry's The Persuaders theme. Yeah, no, this is great. It's an opportunity to inflict um, <laughs> egotistically one's musical heritage uh, on you guys. Um, the, the John Barry piece was one of the first times that I noticed that there was a synthesizer going on um, because... I don't know what he's doing quite, but he seems to be doubling the the kind of, you know, the cello line, what you would call a cello line, a kind of sort of tenor line, um, with some kind of synth. Somebody out there will know what it was. Sounds like a mini mug to me. Must be a moog. It's, yeah. yeah, but it's got a lot of modulation in it. It's got that kind of almost of string synth <sighs> granular sound to it. I don't know, it, it's, maybe they tracked it or something. It's just got a lovely, sizzly kind of warm width to it you know what an amazing amalgamation of sounds you know because he's got his Ipcrest file zither yeah. dulcimer yeah. thing in there yeah. Yeah. and some kind of very treated piano I mean it's it's a piece of electronic music in that sense too isn't it because yeah. the sounds yeah. are so kind of treated and they were always playing kind of pretend versions you know like you'd hear I don't know the Joe Loss Orchestra or um, <laughs> doing the Persuaders theme. It's like, no, no, no. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's uh, not... You, you, you know, you need a synth in there, guys, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> exactly, yeah. So it always felt uh, very exciting to hear that. I mean, it was a shame the show didn't really ever live up to the, to no. the theme tune. This is the theme from The Persuaders by John Barry.
sound of it as well, isn't it? The sound of the recording. Oh, yeah, I don't know what you mean about that bass. It doesn't, it doesn't, it sounds odd, doesn't it now? You... Yeah, what is it? Uh, someone out there will know, but it sounds like a sort Ooh. of Selena. It's got some kind of ensemble thing going over it. Maybe they put something on the mini move, I don't know. Mm. Yeah, they might be sticking it through some effects. Yeah. yeah. We were talking about the Woolworths versions last week. Used to buy the, what the Bigger the Pops albums, I think they were. Yes. All, all the cover versions. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All with Martin Elliott on bass, apparently. Oh, yes, he played the top yeah. pops he, one. He did. Oh, did he play the top? Oh, there we are. Yes. The saucy covers. And John Barry and Ennio Morricone, I think, were the yeah. people that got me into music, basically. Really? Oh, that's good. I was trying to find a Morricone track with electronics in it, but there isn't really. So next we're going on to a piece by Stockhausen, Contact. Well, just a little bit of it. I, I think that, obviously, it's... um. A monstrously, you know, it's an hour plus piece, and originally it was supposed to be listened to on five separate channels. You know, it's five speaker array. Um, I just think the ambition of what he was trying to do with the limited resources he has is just incredible. You know, I mean, obviously it's it's not of this earth. It's 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 crazy in, in one way, but in the other way. You know, if you listen to it, it does something to you. It makes you listen to music, you know, afterwards differently because you're listening to yes. um, all these minute events that are carefully and precisely ordered and constructed in a very methodical but sort of beautiful way. And the sounds are very beautiful and very inspiring, I think. Mm. Uh, even though they are, a lot of them, just sign tones, they're just so idiomatic and um, characterful. Mm. <gasps> So this is Contact by Stockhausen. so timeless yeah. isn't it it just sounds the, contemporary the amount of physical editing on that I know I think um, you know they, they, they time themselves don't they how many edits they can do in a minute and uh, <laughs> it becomes a bit of a kind of macho thing but you needed to didn't you otherwise you know you'd never yeah. get it done yeah I, I just think um, what ambition that showed and um not only that, but already he was, you know, in the 50s, he was saying, no, this is not, not stereo, this is going to be five speakers. And then he built <laughs> some speakers that revolved a bit like Leslie cabinets. And, yeah. um, you know, it was just incredibly forward-looking, and I don't think we've ever caught up, actually. No, no, uh, no. It's, I'll say it just, it just sounds it's just contemporary. It's, it's, it's as much it as we can do now, but quicker. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So your next choice is from Wendy Carlos. March from A Clockwork Orange. 
Yeah, this is um, the bit from the very start of the film, and um, it's you know the Purcell funeral march um, for <sighs> Queen Anne that's been sort of orchestrated onto you know modular moogs, <sighs> and it's got that decadent and sinister, and it's just obviously suited Kubrick's atmosphere that he was trying to go for. <sighs> Of sort of sort of slightly malevolent, you know, not just sort of mathsy futuristic, but also kind of something dissolute about it. Mm-hmm. It's the amazing tracking shot right at the beginning of the film where he just pans back through the milk bar where they're um, they're just drinking milk. So this is a march from a clockwork orange by Wendy Carlos. Version. It did a bit, didn't it? Yeah, like mm-hmm. a, like a polymog or something. Oh yeah, maybe it was a polymog. Um, yeah, it might have been. Because they were all filtering together, weren't they? All, yeah, all the, yeah. All the lines. It, it still sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, I, when it I does. It does. Uh, I still listen to it now quite regularly. So moving on to a track by yourself, Mercury Balls, but this from um, your opera Picard in Space. Yes, it was a very lovely time for me. Charles Hazelwood was the principal conductor of the BBC Concert Orchestra and 
because um, he met me through talking about golf rap and stuff, and he said, "Come and you know, do write a write an, a piece for the or you know, write an opera." And mm. so um, it was you know allowed to play with an orchestra and. Um, he allowed me to put five synthesizers into it. So, wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I got, you know, five of the Moogies in, uh, to, you know, that are all brilliant readers, which you kind of have to be to sit in an orchestra like that because they're all just mm. so kind of hot. Um, and, yeah, w- what you're going to hear is just me putting a little Walkman on recording in the first rehearsal and they just played it through, you know. Um, and uh, I I thought wow you know this but that was the kind of ambition was to try and break the orchestra out of its traditional sound world I mean people like you're talking about Morricone and he's brilliant at that you know and his compatriot uh, Nina Rota for putting organs and various other kind of quite often cheap sounds cheap electronic noises into orchestral settings and um, getting something I suppose like you know the idea of sort of cheap sentiment which runs through Morricone doesn't it cheap sentiment has a has a kind of pathos to it that that sort of turns it on its head and turns it into something you know very powerful and um, so I mean I'm not you know I'm not beginning to try and do that but I think that the idea that you get you know X plus Y is more than X plus Y when you put a synth in an orchestra that that was the intention that you you get you know more than just the sum of the parts um, and I'm, I'm still carrying a torch for that, but it's hard to get hold of orchestras to try it out with. But this was an early experiment. Oh, fantastic. Well, this is uh, Mercury Balls. Martin there at the end there. Yeah. <laughs> <Something> <laughs> their pitch bend on a bit too strong there, but it's, yeah, I like that. Mm. 
just to explain a bit about it, um, you know, Picard in Space the Opera was about this mad Belgian Swiss guy called August Picard, who uh, his brother was called Jean Luc, actually, which is the the Americans know about him because they they consider him the first man in space, August Picard, because he went up to 51,000 feet in a a balloon in 1931 and uh, so yeah they, they think of him as the first but he's definitely got into the stratosphere oh, that was a thing in the gondola wasn't it was in a, yeah in the still still ball. that's yeah, it, that was that's that. it. Yeah, yeah, well it was yeah. now the thing is it was actually aluminium and oh. um the the reason that that's crucial is because at the one point they dropped the thermometer which was full of mercury and and, and it started to eat its way through the hull Oh, yeah. <laughs> so um, hence mercury balls you know this is a mercury balls up yeah so there, there's a moment of peril where they they, they think they're just gonna you know depressurize and freeze to death mm. well that makes sense in the music now yeah it does <laughs> yeah. So, first, yeah. <laughs> so next we have a, a herbie hancock track rocket well, yeah, this, I mean, it doesn't sound very exciting now, but I think at the time it, it, it um, was when suddenly kind of pop music had been given Fairlights and um, Synclaviers and uh, Herbie Hancock, obviously an amazing jazz musician, got hold of one, one of these things. Obviously, mm. I think they cost quarter of a million or something, didn't they, Synclaviers yeah. when they first came out? Yeah. So nobody could have them apart from, mm. you know, the, the exalted you know, gods of music. But I think he thoroughly, des- you know, deserved it because I think what he came up with was, sounded just very fresh and exciting. And um, mm. and, it, and it was great because it was a kind of, you know, it was like, it was a mini hit, wasn't it, for a jazz musician, which is obviously yeah, yeah. not something that happens very often, not since Hacker Bill, really. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, one was very excited about that too at the time. Apparently he's under a bit of pressure to, to have a hit single or a, popular album that was the incentive in the way right so this is a rocket by herbie hancock
time, isn't it? I think. It's, yeah. yeah. I've, apparently, I think it was the first hit that uh, the feature scratching. Actually, is it? A hit, a hit, apparently. So yeah. 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 He had his finger on the pulse. He did. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the video that went with it. Do you remember that? Um, Oh, it's got the and Cream video, wasn't that's it? That's right. Yeah, 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 that's right. That's that's right. right. Yeah. I'm laying this kind of uh, history of, of my um, listening to what I suppose became influential in electronic music, but um, mm. we haven't even got to craft work yet, so yeah. <laughs> There's certainly some craft work in there, wasn't there? The, the sort of a resonant hi-hat thing. Yeah, yeah. definitely. So moving on to a piece by Trevor Wishart, a tape piece, isn't it? Yeah. Um, this was when I went to university. Um, me, me and my mate Eddie Parker, who's a flautist, and later went on to become a sort of famous jazz flautist with his tunes. But at the time, we were just naughty students. But we used to we used to try and vocalise some of these sounds because uh, it's called a political prisoner's dream. So it's quite a heavy mm. sort of mm. concept. It's quite a heavy piece, really. But um, it's just got these real light moments in it because of the what he does with the sound and the playfulness of, of the, you know, I suppose you'd call it music concrete, wouldn't you, where you, you take recorded mm. sound and, and manipulate it and mix it and blend it. And um, using words, he's, he has this phrase, listen to reason, and he takes all those syllables and he treats them and, like, the very beginning, the, the, the list from listen turns into a sound of birds, a flock That's of birds. amazing, that as well, yeah. And I've heard... Uh, place in Essex, Leon C. I don't know if you know Leon C, but they, they have all brimp geese flying there, there thousands of them, and they sound like crowds of people, and that's what you reminded me of. Yeah, so They're this all... thing of, you know, where does a human and an animal or a bird or, you know, how do these sounds relate? And I think it's really clever the way it's, he mingles them all together. So this is Redbird by Trevor Wishart. Uh <laughs> 
Sort of lulls you in and just it just slap you around the face, doesn't it? To yeah, yeah. Your attention to it that doesn't let you sort of um, drift off in it. It's a very, very powerful piece, isn't it? Yeah, it does uh, sort of evoke a lot of imagery as well, doesn't it? When you're sort of listening and sort of I don't know, it's very, very sort of filmic, but in an audio way. You know, it's sort of Every sound is, has got a, something going on with it, isn't it? And, and the, the interrelation with them and, and the way it's recorded as well, so crisp and so. Um, tangible. Yeah, it had a big influence on me, that piece of music. At the time, yeah, me and my mate Ed used to run around college trying to sing bits of it, especially if we saw Trevor, <laughs> if we saw Trevor Wishart walking down one of the corridors, you know, we'd, we'd always be, anyway, because he was there. <laughs> but, but I still, th- you know... Sing the was, chorus to him. Yes, it was, um, shall we say, it was a homage. Yeah, we thought it was brilliant. So moving back to a uh, theme from a film, The French Connection, next. Oh yeah, this is my favourite all-time title sequence. Don Ellis, it turns out, he he was a trumpet player and he had a big band Mm. and he invented these trumpets that had a fourth valve that would make them go up or down a uh, a quarter tone. So um, it's not strictly electronic, this piece, but there's a sort of pulsing ticker tape sound in it which I think has got some electronicness to it, although it also sounds played. I don't know how he got him to play the rhythms because it's very sort of, um, you know, polyrhythmic. But it's it's so short, but it just is just, wow, you know, it just knocks you off your feet. Every time I hear it, I just think, wow, you know, that, that, the vision behind that, um, with those trumpets and then, you know, three of them peeling off a quarter tone, it's just so, yeah, absolutely love it. Yeah, this is theme from The French Connection by Don Ellis. It does sound quite synthy, doesn't it? It does, yeah. It sounds a bit sort of Morse Cody as well, doesn't it? That bib, 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 I suppose mm. it was supposed to be. It's definitely high stakes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Popeye Doyle, um, sort of psychopathic cop, um, yeah. ends up uh, getting people killed, doesn't he? Trying to catch the, yeah. uh, the, the French connection. Um, yeah. But... Uh, it's William Friedkin, isn't it? Who um, obviously went on to make um, The Exorcist. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Don Ellis. That just makes me green with envy hearing that. You just think, wow, <laughs> just God, you know, what a powerful and short, punchy yeah, mood yeah. setter that is. God, yeah, it says everything. <laughs> yeah. And we're keeping with the films now with next tracks uh, by John Carpenter. 
chosen a couple of themes from his films, which he he obviously recorded and played himself. Well, the Assault on Precinct 13, it's that kind of thing of being minimal but choosing the right sounds. Uh, and that is what we're, you know, that's what I'm always, I'm sure, you know, any composer is looking for. You know, you don't have to have a, a layer of, upon layer of stuff if you've got a great sound. Mm. And, you know, if you can just yeah. find that perfect sort of little riff uh, like he did, I think that's what's inspiring about him, isn't it? Just, just nothing in it. It's just so empty. One of the films he didn't write the music to was The Thing... Ennio Morricone. Oh, yeah, that's brilliant too, isn't it? uh, (laughs) We played it on the first show, I think, but it's literally two notes. I mean, I do think film music is very inspiring, generally, because um, it's always looking for, you know, character, isn't it, and and new ways of maybe saying the same thing. And to that end, it kind of smuggles sounds and textures and things. I mean, if you listen to even John Williams, you know, some of that... If you listen to um, Jurassic Park, some of that without the images... It sounds, it sounds like pretty far-out, advanced 20th-century composition. Um, and the, the, you wouldn't... But you don't notice that when you're watching the film, and it feels like that's what I find, you know, great about so much film music, is that they seem to have smuggled in so many great ideas um, yeah. past, you know, the mainstream audiences. So it means we all get to hear it. This is Assault on Precinct 13 and a bit of Escape from New York by John Carpenter. playing that medley at the King's Place actually in the Moog Ensemble 
Yeah, yeah, they they work really well played live, I think. Um, and uh, yeah, they're great fun to play. And th- yeah, they just sound great on monophonic synthesizers. Uh, so it's a really joyful thing to play them. And kind of people know them a little bit. So it feels like there's a bit of familiarity. Yeah, it's not all just strange electronic noises. <laughs> Although some of it is. Well, you can't beat strange electronic noises. <laughs> well, you were saying earlier that about sneaking avant-garde music in to mainstream films and your next choice is the Jerry Goldsmith's Planet of the Apes main title. I mean, that is pretty out there, really, if you listen to it on its own. I know, incredible, isn't it? Because um, he's done some very mainstream things, actually, since then. But hmm. he was obviously, um, you know, a young Turk trying to really blow it out of the water. And, and I think, you know, one of the things he, he does is he puts the entire string section playing pizzicato into what sounds like probably quite a cheap tape echo. Um, <laughs> and, but it's great sound, isn't it? But I, mean, I, I just love hmm. the idea of putting the whole orchestra into a tape echo. Really um, <laughs> bold. Yeah, and uh, it's just so effective. And then, but then you know, these, he has these little motifs that that sometimes are just you know like a, a sweep on the on the snare drum, or it sounds like a scrape on a gong, and then a little three note piano thing, and then a couple of rototoms. You know, he mixes up the sounds, doesn't he? And suddenly we're we're dealing mm. with light motifs, if you like, that are not melodies; mm. they're they're sounds. Mm. And um, so they've got these little signifiers that, that are more than, you know, the usual just, you know, Wagnerian yeah. light motif. They're, they're little keys. And, of course, we're dealing with something so far in the future and so outlandish that it's a very good marriage, I think. And, anyway, it's totally brilliant, isn't it? Such a great yeah. sound. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, and the audience accepts it because it's in, in the context. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah with the, the visuals uh, going with it, yeah. So this is the Planet of the Apes main title by Jerry Goldsmith.
fantastic. Isn't it? Wow. Yes, it's almost sort of music concrete, but with instruments. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's like he's spliced yeah. it together, isn't it? And yeah, yeah. Bit of dub delay on the orchestra. <laughs> yeah, bit of dub delay, yeah. King Tubby loose on it. <laughs> and um, again, it's got this ambition, isn't it? There's something about that late 60s where people were willing to just try anything out, you know, and mm. that we, we got very closed off to that attitude. It just feels mm. like... There's loads of pathways these guys were opening up that we just haven't looked further down. Um, mm. Sometimes it feels like that, you know, I have a sort of nostalgia for that spirit. Uh, what was that, 1968? Um, about 68, that, yeah. yeah. I think nowadays with, um, you know, things get got so easy as well with technology that you need something that's a little bit difficult. I know, yeah, there's I'm a not... lot of what I call white note music out there mm. where, you know, it's just... You know, the piano and string thing. I mean, obviously, piano and strings in film, uh, there's been masterpieces. You know, one thinks of things like The Go-Between, um, Michel Legrand. Um, mm. You know, I'm afraid all my references uh, are pre-1980. <laughs> so we have Autobahn next by Kraftwerk, another electronic piece that was brought to the masses. Yeah, and that's something about Kraftwerk, because they, they're making sort of commercial music, if you like, but they doing it in a way, a very European way, aren't they? I think that so much of British music, you know, was based on kind of rhythm and blues, um, as it, you know, whether it's, you know, starting with the Stones and then, you know, and the Beatles, they, they were listening to blues, really. Um, whereas these guys, there's nothing of that in there. There's no blues. Um, it's just something else. It's their own thing, isn't it? And, and it sort of spearheaded the whole... I think a, a European sort of self-confidence in, in making commercial music um, mm. that, that was very influential, like you say, you know, Bowie was into it and Eno, yeah. um, loads of people latched onto it and it was kind of saying, you know, we're, we're moving into the era where, um, you know, machines are going to take over and uh, humans are going to be subservient um, mm. and, you know, how... how that is, you know, the, the, the future. You know, the, their 60s was in the 70s, really, because I think in the 60s they were still so kind of dealing with the post-war kind of, um, you know, legacy. Uh, it was so fresh and it took such a long time for them to sort of bounce back, I think. But it feels like this is when they kind of got their their mojo back. Yes, with the whole kraut rock cosmosha scene. Yeah, the whole kraut rock scene was amazing, wasn't it? So fantastic, really influential. And very non-American, you know, not not paying lip service to other music. Mm. This is Autobahn.
there's, I mean, there's guitar and flute in that as well, isn't there? This, uh, mm. makes What's it, a flute a flute, or was it a Mellotron? No, it's flute. It's, it's Florence oh, Schneider. It was a flute, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was a very good flute, wasn't it? Yeah, The first album, Ralph and Florian, who's just playing flute. Yeah, I never saw... Did you ever see them live when they were sort of first out doing that? Because I, I never caught them. No. Yeah. I saw the Computer World tour. Did you? When was that? Oh, right, that's when they were still quite kind of spit and sawdust, wasn't it? And it wasn't uh, a big sort of expensive production. It was... No, sort of the Lyceum. The autobahn is surprisingly musical. You think of it as just a riff or something. You think people ask you, but there's a lot of key changes and there's lots of... Mm-hmm. about three or four sections and you know, it keeps your interest all the whole way through, isn't it? Well, I think that's the thing about Kraftwerk, isn't it? That, um, yes, it's all electronic and it's all kind of robotic, but also people have done arrangements of it, like the Balanescu's do arrangements of it, and it sounds great, you know, because, like you say, the music is in there. Um, it's it, it, it's very well-constructed uh, musically to, you know, melodically and harmonically, um, so it stands up. Uh, not on synthesizers. It's not just about the sounds, you know, so, no. which is unusual, I think. It can quite often just be about the sounds, can't you, if you're not careful. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going back to another film theme from the Andromeda Strain by Gil Melly. don't know much about him. Another, another jazz musician, American jazz musician, isn't he? I don't know much about him either. I mean, I just... He obviously got hold of a VCS3 and a... and a ARP... Um, 2600 or something. And, yeah. um, he actually had a band called the Electronauts. Did they? Interesting, yeah. Well, to listen to that, yeah, that's a, yeah. Could, mm. could be fruitful. But yes, it's quite nice, isn't it, to, to hear a, a, an early score that's just electronic. It's just, mm. that's all you get, yeah. and it's very uncompromising. But of course, the plot is very uncompromising, the sort of disease that is inhumanly mutating and killing everybody off bit. Mm. Um, and so it, it's, it seems very appropriate to that but it's in yeah again it's an, another piece of far out electronic music that has been somehow uh, allowed onto a mainstream film
you were more modular than that, wasn't it? No, I was going to say, yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, I wonder whether, well, if there'd be any Covid strain music like that. Yeah. Covid strain? <laughs> Covid strain, yeah, as well. But, um, yeah, it sounds quite, I'd say, quite West Coast as well. I was just thinking that, yeah, yeah, it's got that Booklery. sort of vibe to it. Do you think he had a bookler, sold his yeah. house and bought a bookler? Yeah. <laughs> so we're coming on to a piece next from the Will Gregory Moog Ensemble called English Country Dancing, and it's from a performance with a film called The Service of Tim Henman. Yes, it was um, the idea of, um, you know, what, if you, in a way, slowing down time is like, you know, putting a microscope on things at Wimbledon or, or various places like that they film some of these sequences on these very fast um, cameras so that you get these action replays yeah, yeah, sl- yeah. slow-mo action replays I can't remember the name of the camera it's a famous camera you know just the film whizzes through you know 100 miles an hour and um, so we got hold of some of this and um, and slowed it down even more you know by computering it and so we made his service last 11 minutes um, but that was just obviously just for one sequence it wasn't just we didn't make the 40 minute piece with just the service but there was all these moments you know when his eye kind of catches the ball you know he's latching onto it and yes. uh, it's like an animal kind of uh, you, you, you would never see it at actual speed yeah, you see yeah. his kind of synapses firing in real time and then some of the sequences are very balletic because they spend so much time in the air actually when they're playing so that's that was the inspiration for English country dancing um, where yeah it's just a lot of amazing footwork and footage of the uh, the cameras just being on the feet a lot and great thing to write music to just that time in between time Yes, well, that um, guy Bill Viola, uh, the the video artist, oh, course, yeah. was a bit of inspiration because he was slowing down people jumping in water and things. He had an exhibition called Angels, which is partly the inspiration. But yeah, it, there's something, you know, the, the these amazing cameras, you, you get something that you would never see, and it's like looking down the lens of a microscope of time, isn't it? And yeah, yeah, yeah. It becomes something very operatic. There's an incredible shot of a bullet going through a soap bubble and the bullet's gone before, and the bubble bursts afterwards. Wow. It's still standing in time whilst it's got a hole in it and then it just collapses. Right, there's a moment when it's just completely apart from the hole. And then the bubble just goes pop. Wow. Amazing. So this is English Country Dancing by the Will Gregory Moog Ensemble.
I saw a um, video of you playing the Polyvox, was it, doing the bass of that? Yeah, the Polyvox doing the, the, those initial sounds, yeah, because it's, mm. it's, uh, it's duophonic, you know, so you can get little chord oh. pans out of it. And um, it's really good. Have you ever played with one? No, I've never seen one of those. They're, um, you know, they're built like tanks and you don't know what any of the knobs do because it's all in Cyrillic and it's all in... Um, so you have to say... Yeah, of course, yeah. I think they're great, you know. They're not like mini moogs, but they're kind of as good as mini moogs, I think, in terms mm. of how expressive they can be and the range of sounds. They can make more metallic kind of rattles and harpsichordy noises uh, somehow than mini moogs. And they've also somehow, when they were designed, normally... You know, anything too extreme would be kind of, I mean, even with an, the MS-20, would be kind of narrowed down. But with the Polyvox, they haven't had that kind of, hasn't gone through that beta testing, I think. <laughs> yeah. and, and it's just been cobbled together out of old tank bits of electronics, I think. And, yeah. and, and it, it wails, you know, if you go too far with the filter, it will just start self-oscillating in a, you know, in a totally... It'll blow your speakers up kind of way, you know. And, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's also rather, you know, so you never know quite what it's going to do, which is, mm. you know, a, a, a great thing with a synthesizer. Oh, I'd love to find one of those. Mm. Well, there's lots of um, great uh, synths coming out of Russia now. Yeah. Really? What kind of Euro yeah. type things? I said the other day about one of my favourite ones is the, the companies is Soma, who just released a really crazy drum machine. And they use sort of crocodile clips and bits of... Uh, oh, yeah. Metal, you can actually put your finger on them, yeah. changing the circuits and everything as well. Just short them out. Um, <laughs> I'll have to check that out. Yeah. My mate Nick Bat, who has a site called Sonic State. Oh, um, yeah, he loves oh, Nick. He really likes Soma. So, thanks very much for joining us tonight. That's fantastic choices yeah, there. Well, it was really good, uh, really interesting stuff there. Well, thank you. Thank you for giving me uh, the opportunity to uh, foist. Um, I'm sure not forgotten music, but certainly very influential music and mm. stuff that has been formative, I think, um, mm. to, to a lot of people, I think, not just me. Yeah. yeah, thanks a lot. Cheers then. Bye. Thanks again for listening. You can join us on our Facebook page where we can carry on the conversation. But until then, we'll see you next week. <laughs>